And uh, our reading this morning comes from uh, Genesis chapter 6, and I'm reading from verse 5. Genesis chapter 6, and I'm reading from verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jesseph. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence. Because of them, I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it in pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make a lower, middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has had breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. As we were saying with the, uh, the children, this is our text for the year, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Uh, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And uh, I thought, uh, as uh, we start a new series for the, uh, the new year, that it would be good to look, a story, to look at a story about God's plans uh, for his people. And so, uh, over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to be looking at the story of Noah and the ark. And uh, we've got a little video clip um, that we're going to play in a moment to introduce uh, it to you. Just as, just as an example of, uh, of how much this story is kind of embedded uh, into the conscious or subconscious of, uh, of everybody. Everybody knows the story of Noah and the ark. Uh, you find it in all sorts of ways. And a few years ago, uh, even Hollywood uh, made a somewhat tongue-in-cheek 
tongue-in-cheek, rather, uh, film about the story of Noah and the Ark. And we've got a little uh, clip just to uh, remind you of that film. Great film. If you've not seen it, I uh, commend it to you as uh, a supplement to, uh, to this series that we are uh, embarking on, uh, Noah and the Ark. Uh, it is a great story, and a story I guess uh, we're all uh, pretty familiar with. And uh, I just want you, just for a moment, just to turn to the person next to you. And, uh, you know, when I say uh, Noah and the ark, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Just turn to the person next to you. And uh, the first thing that comes into your mind, uh, Noah and the ark, just for a moment. Okay, anything, anything, just uh, anybody want to share? Big boat, big boat. Big boat, okay, big boat, yeah. Water. Water. Animals, two by two. Animals, two by two. Impossibility. Impossibility. A big job, a very big job, yeah, very big job, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, all sorts of things, and, and just as a way of... Uh, of, uh, of introduction. Uh, very often, Noah and the Ark is, is thought of as a, as a children's story, isn't it? Uh, if you were to go into a Christian bookshop, even to, to uh, uh, a secular bookshop, uh, and, and looked under kind of the religious thing, you would find lots of uh, children's books about Noah and the Ark. And very often, people think of it as a children's story, and there's lots of resources. And you can understand why, you know, a, a boat with lots of uh, cuddly animals in, and uh, you can get all sorts of all sorts of things. Um, but one of the things we're going to be saying is it's certainly not a children's story. Uh, it's certainly not a children's story. And uh, even as we read it, if you think about uh, some of the things we were reading, it's not the sort of bedtime reading that would send your children to sleep, uh, you know, nice and peacefully. Uh, this idea that God's about to destroy the whole of the earth and wipe out all humanity because they are so wicked, I suggest isn't this the ideas that you fill your children's minds with just before they go to sleep. So, uh, a children's story. Uh, one of the questions uh, somebody kind of uh, half-heartedly uh, referred to it, you know, is it a true story? Uh, you don't really expect me to believe that this actually happened, some people might say, uh, because it almost seems uh, uh, impossible, some of the things that we read about. And uh, just some of the questions that some people might ask uh, you know, about the story, you know, uh, uh, where did all the animals come from? How did Noah gather all these uh, animals from all over the world and uh, get them into the boats? Uh, you know, why didn't the animals attack one another uh, and eat one another and if not eat the people? I don't know if anybody saw that uh, uh, remarkable documentary about polar bears this week where uh, the documentary maker put himself... Uh, in this sort of uh, cube uh, where he knew the polar bear was feeding and this polar bear was trying to get at him and uh, would have ate him if he could have got at him. It was quite uh, dramatic uh, coverage because uh, wild animals, uh, if you come face to face with wild animals, uh, you know, it, it, could not, it might not always end as happily uh, as it did for Noah. So uh, another question there. And of course one of the, the questions that uh, some teenagers uh, might ask, you know, what about all the mess? Uh, what about the toilet arrangements? I don't know about you when I'm going on holiday. I like to know what the toilet arrangements are. What about the toilet arrangements for all those animals on the ark? These are some of the questions. And uh, while I'm kind of doing it, you know, humorously, um, 
if we want to uh, say that this story actually happened, these are, these are real questions that people ask um, about Noah and the ark. Um, and uh, some of the questions that we will be exploring. I've come across this book, um, uh, Reclaiming Genesis by uh, Melvin Tinker. Uh, never heard of him before, but it's, uh, it's quite a new book. It was written in 2010. And uh, he talks about the fact that, uh, that there are books in the Bible that cause heated debate. He, say, he suggests there are two books in the main in the Bible which are most likely to be the cause of heated debate among Christians. The book of Genesis at the beginning and the book of Revelation at the end. And uh, he suggests uh, that this dissension occurs not necessarily because there's doubt is being cast over whether these books are inspired by the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. The main bone of contention is how these are to be interpreted. How do we interpret scriptures like this? And this is where I get serious. Uh, because I wouldn't want you to think that I'm not taking the story of Noah and Ark seriously. We're going to take it very seriously. We're going to be looking at the story over the next three weeks because uh, uh, it, it's a big story. Uh, but there might be things in the story that we find out that surprise us, that we didn't actually know about because we've perhaps thought of it as a children's story and we thought we know the story. There'll probably be things in the story that we bring out that we'll think, gosh, I didn't realise that was there. And, uh, and how do we interpret it? Uh, Melvin Tinker, I think, is very helpful uh, in, in how he approaches this question of how we interpret it. Uh, because what he's wanting to do is take Genesis uh, seriously. I don't know if you've looked, noticed, but the early chapters of Genesis are actually quite strange. <laughs> There's some quite strange things in it. And if you were to look in commentaries, very often chapters 1 to 11 are dealt with separately... Uh, than chapters 12 to the end. And sometimes uh, people use words like uh, chapters 1 to 11 are, they talk about it as being prehistory. Uh, because there are things in it that people have questioned. That, you know, is this actual factual history? Or is it allegory? Is it, is it parable? And uh, what Melvin Tinker uh, suggests, his approach is rather than to say, uh, you know, he, he recognises that some people want to say this is literally history, this actually happened, and uh, these are, are, you know, Bible-believing Christians, but he takes into account that there are Bible-believing Christians that want to interpret uh, stories like this in a different way. And I think the helpful thing that he does is um, he talks about the, the, the passage in actually the other book that he, that he mentioned that's controversial, Revelation. And he, he talks about the passage in Revelation uh, 12. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to it. And it says this, it says, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,200 and 60 days. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to try and make sense of that, but, but what Melvin Tinker says about that 
in relation to how we interpret Genesis. He says, if these verses, the verses from Revelation that I've just read, are referring, which they are, to the birth, life and death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, they're referring to actual history. They're referring to an event that actually happened. But those events are not being conveyed in a historical narrative uh, as they are in the Gospels. Um, the sort of uh, picturesque language in, in Revelation is, is very often referred to as apocalyptic language. And uh, we don't probably think that there was a, a red dragon that appeared with all those uh, arms and, and legs. We probably don't want to take that literally. And I think that, that's quite helpful because what he's saying is, is this is a particular type of literature. Uh, this is how, uh, if you like, uh, God tells his story. Um, so it's true in the sense that this is, this is God's truth. Um, but it's how we interpret that truth, which is always the case with, with Scripture. It's how we interpret it. And different people, different Christians, different evangelical Christians will interpret in different ways. And uh, we're going to be looking at that as we go through the story of Noah because there are things that we need to ask questions about. And again, I would emphasise the fact that we are taking this story seriously. Probably more seriously than just saying, oh, it's, 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 it, 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 it happened like that and you either believe it or you don't believe it. It's a matter of faith. And of course, people go to great lengths, don't they, to, to convince people um, that the story of Noah is true because one of the questions about you know how did God get all those animals onto the ark and, and why didn't they eat over uh, well one person says simple answer what Noah did he probably didn't know this was he he, he, he took uh, baby animals on board so they were small lions uh, cubs and, and small tigers and so of course they wouldn't have eaten one another and, and it made more room because they were all very small um, I would, I would say not the most convincing of arguments, but these are the lengths that people go to to try and explain. And the danger is, one person says, there's basically two ways we can approach this very familiar story. The first is to focus on the controversial issues, which we've mentioned. Uh, but the danger in doing that is that we might miss the larger message behind the story. And so what I'm saying is, really, you've got freedom to believe whatever you like about the story. And it doesn't really matter... Uh, in one sense, whether it actually happened or whether it didn't actually happen in that way. What it, do, what it does say, it is telling the truth about God. Uh, this is God's story of his dealings with mankind. And it explains uh, something about how God deals with people. And so, uh, the story of Noah and the ark. Let's dive into it because it starts off... Uh, with mankind's failure. It starts off with mankind's failure. Um, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become. Um, God looked down on the earth and uh, he didn't like what he saw. Uh, do you remember back in, in, right at the beginning of Genesis, uh, when God looked at what he created, uh, he looked at it and he said, this is good, this is very good. And uh, God's coming back to creation now and he's looking and he's not saying it's very good, he's saying it's bad. It's very bad. Uh, something has gone terribly wrong with my creation. And uh, it's interesting uh, that the, the God's response to what he sees, it says the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart 
was filled with pain. And one of the messages that we get from the story of Noah and the ark is that when we do things wrong, uh, when we sin, it actually causes God pain. It actually affects God. When we do things wrong, when we are disobedient to God, when we go off, 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 off track, um, that this actually causes God pain. And again, I, I like what uh, uh, you might, might get the idea that I'm quite taken with this book by Melvin Tinker. He says this, it's interesting that God is not described as being angry, which we might have thought, and very often that's the way God's portrayed, isn't he? Uh, that God is angry. He says... God is not described as being angry, but as being in pain. The excruciating pain which culminated in the cross began way back here. Human wickedness pierces the heart of God and makes it bleed. I like that. Human wickedness pierces the heart of God and makes it bleed. Uh, God's plan for salvation started in the beginning. It wasn't, his, it wasn't that God came up with a different plan because things had gone wrong. God's plan, the plans that he has for us, uh, don't change. Uh, he knows what he's doing. Remember we said that last week, that God actually knows what he's doing, even <clears throat> when the world is not as it should be. And so, um, mankind's failure... But God says he's going to have to do something about it. I will wipe mankind whom I created from the face of the earth. This is the end of the world, folks. Uh, this is the first prediction of the end of the world. I don't know if you've noticed that people have been predicting the end of the world for, for quite some time. Uh, I don't know if any of you got caught up with, was it the 21st of December, the world was going to end? It didn't, by the way, it didn't. Uh, but people have been predicting the end of the world. And, and uh, you know, uh, the news covered it, didn't they? Uh, I don't know if you noticed, uh, one particular company, Lynx, actually produced a whole uh, fragrance of, of, of stuff uh, called the end of the world, the final edition. And uh, what is interesting is, did you see the advert for that fragrance? Maybe you didn't, we're going to show it to you now. <laughs> Humus advert, but how interesting... Uh, you know, that they actually uh, make that connection with the end of the world, with the story of Noah. And of course they presume in that advert, you know, a nationwide advert, they presume everybody knows the story of Noah. We don't have to explain what what this guy's doing building this boat because everybody knows uh, about this story in the Bible uh, where God was going to destroy the world. Uh, How interesting is that? That these biblical stories are so ingrained... Uh, in our very beings, that even secular people uh, use biblical stories. And if you watch out, they're all over the place. Uh, references to, to, to Bible stories are all over the place. And uh, here, uh, it looked like it was going to be the end of the world because of mankind's failure. Mankind had failed. Uh, and it was looking pretty grim. And we might look around our world uh, today. It's interesting when, when Jesus himself refers to um, the story of Noah. Noah's mentioned all, all over the place. Uh, but Jesus himself, uh, talking about the end times in Matthew 24, uh, uh, Jesus points out for those people that do predict the end of the world, no one knows the day or the hour, uh, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. 
So whenever you're worried about predictions about the end of the world, you can, you can quote people that verse and say, well, nobody knows except God. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day when Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came. Uh, so Jesus himself makes reference. And that's why we have to take the story seriously. Because Jesus talks about this story and, and Peter talks about it. And the, there's references in, in other parts of scripture to this uh, amazing story about Noah. And so uh, it was going to be the end of the world or was it? Because obviously we're here today so the world didn't end. Uh, which is good news. It's good news. Uh, mankind's failure. Uh, Noah and the Ark is about mankind's failure, but it's also about God's favour. Um, God's saying to Noah that uh, he's, he's saying, or the, the writer's saying that, that, that God's going to wipe out the earth. And then we get this but. There's all these terrible things about mankind and the wickedness and, uh, and what's going on. He says, but uh, Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Literally, uh, you know, uh, favour means God's undeserved grace. And uh, Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, David Atkinson says this, the editor of the text very carefully ensures that we read about the grace of God before we read about Noah's faith. And that is the pattern which again and again the Bible makes clear. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Um, Noah and his family are going to be saved from what is coming. Because of God's favour. Because of God's grace. And we too are saved. But not because we are wonderful, kind, generous, great people, but because of God's favour, because of God's grace, because God sent Jesus to be the ark that we could enter into, whereas we wouldn't be destroyed. You see, this, this story has uh, all sorts of implications and meanings for us. It is a story of God's favour. It's a go- story of God's salvation. That right at the beginning, God has a plan of salvation for the world. God's favour uh, rests upon Noah. Uh, later on, he talks about the fact in verse 18 that I will establish my covenant with you. This is the first mention in the Bible of that word covenant. This is how God deals with his people through covenants. And God says to Noah, I will make my covenant with you. That's how covenants work. Uh, It's not an equal agreement between two equal parties. Uh, It's based on these old uh, Middle Eastern treaties where the king would say, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to make a treaty with you. Uh, But it was the king saying to uh, the people, uh, this is how it is because I'm in charge. And this is God saying, you know, I'm going to make a covenant with you. It's a a covenant of grace and favour. Because even though you don't deserve it, and even Noah uh, didn't deserve to be saved. Uh, It is because of God's grace and God's covenants. And that's what me and you do. We enter into a covenant relationship with God. 
uh, you know, when we get baptised, uh, when we come into membership, we're entering into a covenant relationship where God has said certain things and we agree to follow and participate in God's plan. This is what covenant is all about. And this is the first mention of, of many covenants that are talked about in the Bible. And of course, when Jesus comes, we read those words when we share communion together about Jesus making a new covenant through his blood. Remember what uh, Tinker said about the fact that our sin and wickedness uh, causes God's pain and makes him bleed. And Jesus comes along and dies on the cross and sheds his blood so that we can enter into this covenant with him. So uh, the story of Noah, it's about God's favour uh, to Noah and his family. Uh, but it is also about Noah's faith. Because as always when God speaks, it's up to us whether we're going to take any notice of what God says. Most of the people in Noah's day were not taking any notice of what God had said. They had uh, walked away from God. Noah's uh, faith, uh, we read, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah was a man who walked with God. And that's the challenge that we have, to walk with God. And when you walk with God, you get to participate with what God is doing. However strange and crazy that might be. Uh, because uh, God's got a plan for Noah's salvation. But it is a rather uh, strange and remarkable plan, isn't it? And uh, uh, Noah uh, is going to build a boat. I don't think he was a boat builder. Uh, it's unlikely because he lived in a desert. And there wasn't a great call uh, for boats. And so when God comes along and says to Noah, I want you to build a boat, uh, you would imagine that Noah's response would be, what? Build a boat? <laughs> There's no water. Uh, interestingly, don't if you notice, I didn't realise this until I read it somewhere else. I didn't find this out for myself, which is why it's always good to read commentaries and other books about. Uh, but Noah doesn't speak. All through this first section and through the flood, we don't find Noah speaking at all. It's all God speaking. Noah, Noah listens and obviously follows what God says, but it's God that speaks and Noah doesn't speak. And maybe there's something in that, because very often when we come together, we speak and we don't always leave space for God, which is why it's so good that we're doing that thing next Saturday, where we're making space for God to speak into our church, into our community. It's a listening day when we listen to what God is saying. Uh, and I would encourage you to, to take part in that. So, uh, Noah, you know, he, he, he must have been a bit crazy, really, mustn't he? Because God calls crazy people to do crazy things. Um, some of us went to the Big Hearted Tour yesterday uh, with the Baptist Union President, Chris Duffett. And, uh, uh, you know, quite a crazy bloke, really. <laughs> he said he turns up at places and, and they say to him, Hi, Chris. Uh, well, he introduced himself, I, I, I'm Chris. And people say, oh, come and sit down. Uh, really pleased to see you. We've got the Baptist uh, Union President coming to speak to us today. He says, I know it's me. <laughs> uh, not what they're expecting. And Noah-like character who just... Uh, 
does what God's called him to do. And he does all sorts of crazy things. And he was sharing some of those uh, stories, some amazing things, some things that we might want to pick up and, and do uh, in, in evangelism. Uh, but that's what faith is about. And Noah's faith uh, was about doing what God asked him to do without question. The amazing thing is that Noah, I would have had lots of questions. I don't know about you. Uh, I would have just had loads of questions. Build a boat. I've never built a boat before. How can I build a boat? Where am I going to get the wood from? Uh, get two of every kind of animal. How, how am I going to do that? I'm, I'm not good with animals. I don't even like my pet cat. Uh, it, it annoys me. It frustrates me. I'm not an animal person. Uh, these are the things that I would have been saying to God because we're very quick, aren't we, when God speaks to, to come up with all sorts of excuses why we can't do what God's asking us to do. Uh, Noah doesn't do that. Uh, this is Noah's faith. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. I know the plans I have for you. You know, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God has got a plan for us. Our job is to fit in and find out what that plan is. It isn't to make up new plans or to, 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 to come up with great ideas it's about discovering what God wants us to do. Uh, and sometimes God asks us to do some crazy things. Um, again, um, you know, Chris was sharing about putting us a tea in the middle of a town centre and, and sitting there with a sign saying, I will listen. He said he felt absolutely stupid, ridiculous, sat there as people are going around shopping. He said, but the amazing thing was, after about half an hour, somebody sat down next to him. And said, I don't know why I'm telling you this, Chris. But, uh, and then shared their heart. And then another person came and another person. And sometimes God asks us to do ridiculous things. And it actually works because it's God's plan and God's idea. So uh, Noah's faith. Noah was a man who did everything that God commanded him to. And that's what we're called to do. Uh, just to do what, it's quite simple really. Uh, we're just to do the things that Jesus said we are to do, to make disciples, to baptise people, uh, to go out into all the world. Um, it isn't that complicated really, is it? So, uh, this is Noah preparing for another huge day uh, at the ark. He needed a big cup of coffee. And uh, I can identify with that, with that picture because, uh, you know, if you've got a big day ahead of you, uh, you, need to, uh, you need some coffee. Well, I do. Um, so I, I quite like that picture. Uh, Noah's faith in God um, he just did what God called him to do so the story of Noah, Noah and the ark is about mankind's failure uh, and we know that we fail time and time again but God's plan allows for our failures God has a plan that includes a solution to the fact that we will fail that's good news especially good news for people that fail uh, it's about God's favour. It's about God's grace. It's about God saying, I choose you. He chose Noah and his family. And he says to you, I choose you. My favour's going to rest upon you. And it's about Noah's faith. It's about us putting our faith in God, believing what he says, and following his plans.